Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Bowden. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, Latin, midwife, and post-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida at the practice of Midwife Love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Well, I failed my first uh final of my first term of oh, school. Failed it? No, oh, no, I got a 79, but apparently that's failing and I have to retake it or to pass the course. So oh, no. that's what's happening in my life today. I failed my first final of my first term in midwifery school and I don't know what that means. So I'm just, what was the course? I don't even want to say it. Say it. <laughs> say it. Say it. Say it. The skills of doula work or something. That would be very No, hard no, that, that would be really bad. But no, it was like anatomy and physiology class. Okay. See, that shit's hard. That is that hard. hard. All, all 11 body systems. Like we did all sub body systems in 15 weeks. And then this like 300 point class, like exam on the, the stuff um. that we did nine weeks ago regarding like the integumentary system and how it's, and it's just wild. And so, you know, it's okay. I get a chance to retake it, but, um, it's just like, it's so painful. It's so painful and so stressful to think that, um, I can't even pass an anatomy and physiology exam. (laughs) Humbling. Hold on. Humbling, yes, there, very humbling. There's Super some humbling. humble there, which is good. But also I'm going to be the devil's advocate. Layla. You are on call full time for like, I don't know, five, 10 clients a month, something crazy. You're working like basically every day for me. <laughs> it's like, you're really freaking busy. And yeah. that shit's really hard. Like, yeah, I think my like, can, my fear is like, I need it to be done. I need, I need this class to be over with because it's like the prerequisite for everything else. And if I don't like just get this class over with and done, I'm going to go insane. And like, 
she's I have a 93 in the class, like overall in the whole class. But if I don't pass the final exam with an 80, I have to retake the whole course. Well, that's one point. You got this. You got it. I'm not worried. Yeah, one point. One point. We can make that up. It's only like one question. I'm just get one more question, correct? So how do you enjoy, how do you enjoy I, the class of anatomy and physiology? Um, I think that they did a really good job trying to apply each body system to adaptation adaptions in pregnancy. And so that way it can keep us like excited because that's why we're here. Um, and I definitely have learned a lot about, uh, testicles. (laughs) Oh my God. Of all the random things to pick up. I mean, seriously, I had no idea how in depth the testicles are, you know, I was like, wow, there's so much in there, you know? So, so you, so what you're trying to say is you got really distracted before your final exam. (laughs) That was our last body system. Yeah. Like totally. I was like, what is all of those squiggly things? (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, It's interesting. My favorite class though I'm taking is herbology and I'm getting super witchy and like if fun in the kitchen, you know, like our final exam is to make like three tinctures, two salves, one oil, two, you know, teas, you know, decoctions. And so that's really fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been really, really good for sure. Um, just, just got to pass this exam today and I'll be done with, done with everything. You're taking it well, today. Yes. I'm going to retake it tonight. Okay. I know because, uh, every day that you don't submit a project or an exam, you get 1% off the total grade. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now you need to get an 81. I see what happens here. Right. Oh, no. Well, like more than that, I need to get more because 1% off of 300 point exams. That's three points for every day. No, it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So yeah, I am. I'm loving it. That's for sure. Um, How are, do you have a student right now, Angie? Well, I just met a new student today, a male midwife student. That is a first for me. Cool. He is brand new. I typically like to take second and third year students. (laughs) So, you know, we're working on pulse. (laughs) Pulses. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to say, confess something about anatomy and physiology. Um, which I have taken at the undergrad level and also at the grad school level. And I remember my undergrad anatomy and physiology when I was young, you know, doing my bachelor's. It was in this room up at Messiah College um, that had like, I don't know, 50 different animal heads in the front of it, taxidermy kind of style, right? And so it'd be a big lecture hall, 300 students, the teacher droning on and on you know, this is long before the era of PowerPoint, you know, just very boring. So you're trying to focus. And of course you're falling asleep or you're trying not to, and you're trying to keep your eyes open. I don't know if you've experienced that sensation. So anyway, this is what I remember from my undergrad anatomy and physiology class. So at night, if ever I have insomnia 
and I'm worrying about too many things, I go back to that place. I remember those animal heads. I pretend <laughs> I'm an A and P and I'm just barely trying to keep my eyes open. And that's how I fall asleep. Wow. Yeah. Oh it works God. every time. Side benefit. But it's not counting sheep. It's remembering Side. the A and P for the right. Yeah. Yeah. It Which is not- sort of counting sheep. It's like counting animal heads, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. No, mine's not even that interesting. You know, we all it's 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 uh it's online work. Like I do have a live constructor, which is great, but it's not even interactive with like people in real world and you know, stuff like that. So hmm. well, I wanted to weigh in a little bit about this too and say I just took another consult today of someone who has not passed the NARM for her fourth time in a row. And um, I've been following um, Dr. Midwife. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're following her. I hope you are. Um, She is a CNM and a DNP who is going back to get her CPM because it's the only credential legal to open a birth center in the state in which she lives. Right? Wow. And in a very loud diatribe based on the bullshit of the system, she said, look, I'm not probably going to pass this exam because I don't speak Appalachian. (laughs) Hi. And I just thought, I am so glad that we have leaders like this who are willing to speak up and be quoted because we've all thought that. Um, so Layla, I don't know if this is happening with your A&P course, but I'd just say there is this systemic issue in testing in midwifery, especially community-based midwifery, that is discriminatory. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I don't know if that's happening for you. That's happening. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. Her story is just, is, is absolutely incredible and angering at the same time, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which state it's is she in? Crazy. Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Okay. Delmar, welcome. Delmar's on the call. Hi, Delmar. Hey, friend. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing so much better. Are you? I am. Oh, happy to hear that. You look amazing. What a great smile. How's your little tiny darling? Oh my goodness, getting not tinier every single day. They're starting to get up onto their knees, hands and knees, and like rocking back and forth to start crawling. And I'm like, I'm not ready. <laughs> get ready. <laughs> well, welcome. We're just doing a chat and a hangout and um, yeah, letting everyone arrive. Layla was telling us about her AMP exam. I did not pass. So we're not laughing yeah. at you. I promise. No, I know. It's fine. I'm really disappointed. It's fine. I will, I will get over it. I'll get through it. It'll be something I never remember unless I'm trying to go to sleep like Angie's. Oh, this is the beginning of a very good book, right? Yeah. First chapter. And you need to write down all that you're feeling right now. Don't That's lose true. Don't I did. I did get a brand new book to yeah. write each term of midwifery schools 
stuff. So I have another book that is filled with term one of midwifery school in there. And, um, you know, I think what's really interesting about just about I'm, I'm taking like double the courses because I want to get done in half the time. Obviously, Of, co- of course you are. <laughs> like I did the math. I was like, wait a minute. You want me to stay for seven years, which would be $45,000, or I can do this in 3.3 years for 19. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I'm taking like triple the courses to, to get it over with, but almost every single course is about like really firing up midwives and getting them mad and angry at the obstetric system and at midwifery today and what's happening for birthing people. And, um, at first it was like, okay, yeah. All right. Like let's write a paper about, um, misoprostol, right. Inside attack and all of the horrible things, right. Like we need to write a paper about that. And then like, it just became a little nauseating, like over and over and over again, the goal, and maybe it's just first term midwifery school, but it seemed to be like, how can we make you more mad so that we can make you more passionate? Maybe, I don't know. I don't understand that. that. I really don't understand that. And I, you are not alone. This is an echoing thing that is happening everywhere. And it just furthers that divide. The only way through, in my opinion, is to build the bridges and actually see each other on the same side. I mean, Like if you break down the lowest, like not lowest, but like the simplest common denominator of like why we're doing this work is, is we want good outcomes, right? We want safe, positive, even pleasurable, non-traumatic outcomes. Like that's the goal. Like I kept repeating this in the course I was teaching this weekend. Like home birth is not the goal, y'all. Where the person actually ends up delivering a baby is matters not. Like when you're talking to your clients, you say, you're hiring a midwife, you're choosing midwifery care, regardless of where that care takes place or what you actually optimally need for your care, you're going to get midwifery care. And if you transfer, it's because you hired a midwife that was so skilled at risk assessment that they helped you make the best decision for you and your baby. Like midwifery care, you don't like accidentally trip and like get a cesarean, you know, like you can't like accidentally end up you know, that, that's the beauty of community-based midwifery care. And I, I hate that messaging, Layla. And I'm so sad. I mean, I'm, first of all, I'm really glad that you can see beyond it. You're, that's the beauty of you being a mature student that you are. But I'm so sad that, that that's the messaging. I think that's doing the whole profession a disservice. Yeah. And it's not just like to OBs too, right? Like it's like medwives, the CNM, you know, like the CNM medwives. And let's just like shit on their story all day long when in in fact we could really really use and connect and like interweave midwifery and um certified nurse midwives and cpms and lms and and traditional well, that's why we're here right tricks right like this so whole thing is about right here right here but yeah, so like the head of the snake is still pretty poisonous oh yeah oh yeah well i um I can't wait for Jamara to arrive, which hopefully will be soon. Um, But I had, um, I taught a course in Indiana this weekend and there were 
I'm about to repost the story. There were seven midwives of color attending and they are like so beautiful, so moving through the process, holding space, like breaking out. And it was like watching the revolution. Like I felt like I had fr front row seats to like the revolution that's <laughs> happening. You know, I was like, this is so cool. Um, and the, the rest of the crew is like a group of 25. The rest of the crew like was, was like, we, there was no explaining, like everyone got, there were tears in our eyes when we did the group photo of the, of the, of the BIPOC midwives. And it was like, oh, it's coming, it's coming. So we need to do it in the same kind of way. We need to do it for this, the messaging and the, the reason why we're all doing this. And uh, Layla, hopefully you'll be some of those voices from the inside, like changing yeah. the system. And I think that it, it also is really about choices of families mm -hmm. you know the and by families only, will choose mm -hmm. by only espousing one way the non-cytotech way right as given for example you are depriving people of choices you are making decisions for them like a patriarchal model i know best and how dare you choose something else that may actually help you have a vaginal birth in certain circumstances under this cloak of like naturalness yeah, choices. And to me, choice is one of the main motivations that I became a midwife to provide choices to people, to birthing families, you know, and that's one of the things I try to do when we're coming up on that crosswalls is here's a couple of options. Here's some risk and benefits. Let's talk about what they each look like. And then you guys go and decide, you know, that's not my decision to make. Some of my families might choose Cytotec over castor oil because they don't want to have diarrhea and vomiting, you know, and that is, poison, their, you know, yeah. that's fine. that is their choice. That is not my choice, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's so many different families. Of course, people are going to make different choices. And for me, that's my role as a midwife is to hold the choices open. I love that. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. The sovereign authority rests with the person who the choice affects. Yeah. And I think the more choices, the more, um, more we're actually serving the profession. Oh, Layla, Angie, Selmar, I'm so excited. I just can't even stand it. I'm so excited. So well, I know we're going to do introductions later, but it's so hard to have like a chat with everybody when I don't really know you, Delmar. Like, I don't we're know where gonna you do are. The, we're going to do like, the up? and everything. Let's start out with that. My name is Delmar. My pronouns are they, them, and aye. Um, I am a queer, transgender, non-binary, Latinx, midwife, and doula. Um, I came to midwifery really serendipitously and by, I don't really believe in accidents, but um, I guess by serendipity. Um, I was studying in undergrad and I was really unhappy with my major and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself and what I wanted to do in the world. Um, and my ride home from school that day was a music major and her rehearsal was running late. So I went to the library to kill some time and the binding of a book caught my eye and it was Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gaskin. Um, if you've ever seen it, it's like hand drawn, it's bright blue, it's really pretty. Um, and it really stood out on the shelves of my community college. So I plucked it off the shelves, sat down to read, and that was it. I was entirely sucked in. I checked it out. I stayed up all night. 
reading and by the time the sun came up I knew I wanted to be a midwife. So I I became a doula um, as part of like my path towards becoming a midwife and I was a doula and a student for 20 years almost exactly to the day um, before I attended my first midwife as a solo midwife in in practice. I'm from South Florida, and that is where I did most of my education. Um, but I moved to Pittsburgh to to practice here because I haven't taken my arm yet. Um, I've finished all of my test numbers, but I haven't sat my exam yet. Um, so I moved here to work as a community midwife, and I did for a year before having my own baby um, and deciding that I needed to take a break on that and do something a little bit more sustainable. Uh, for my family while we're in this phase of growing. Um, I'm actually not practicing. I did my last birth for the foreseeable future um, two weeks ago. Okay. Um, Congrats. Very little support for for community midwifery here in Pittsburgh. Um, I can't fill insurance and people here are super broke. So it's just, it's not sustainable. So I am, I'm actually starting a full-time doula position um, working with immigrant families at the Center for Inclusion Health on Monday. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, I'm working on getting all my NARM paperwork submitted um, so that I can leave Pittsburgh and go work with myself. <laughs> so what is, because I feel like I'm hearing from you What's midwifery like where you are? It's it's illegal. Yes, so Pennsylvania is an illegal state. There's a very old law from the turn of the century um, that is about the licensing of midwives. It's very short. It says ten dollars and proof of an adequate education <laughs> um, must be submitted to an a department or a committee that no longer exists. Mm. Um, so because we have so many plain communities, largely Amish in Pennsylvania, there is a very big push to not to not license midwifery and to not require credentials because midwives in those communities don't have access to the credentials needed. Got it. And then therefore, no insurance companies are going to cover midwifery in your location either, which reduces access to a totally different... Um, you know, community of people. That is exactly correct. No, no insurance, no Medicaid, no coverage. Um, I had found a workaround for a short time with a third party financing company where you could like pay over years for your birth, um, but they are no longer covering birth workers. Yeah. And even then, like you'd have to take like 15 births a month in order to be like keep your lights on if you they paid over years for their birth, right? Like it. Oh no! So that's the third party. The third party financing company paid me immediately, and then they paid the family paid over time. Mm, like a credit card so, or something like that. Yeah, it was a really good setup until they stopped covering the workers. So, what is the nurse midwife climate or there in Pennsylvania? It's difficult because they're required to have physician approval for everything. Um, and most physicians aren't willing to, to back midwives that way. 
Um, so I fear that in Philadelphia, on the other side of the state, it's much easier to find an OB who's willing to back you and to sign off on all your stuff. Um, but in Pittsburgh, we have none of that. Um, so there are no nurse midwives who are doing home birth in Pittsburgh. Well, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. And, and before, it's like a lot of parts of the country. Yeah, I know that you're yeah. stopping right now, but what up until this point, what does your practice look like? Um, it's been difficult. I've luckily been able to connect with an OB who is willing to order labs and ultrasounds for me. Um, but it's, it's really limited um, and it's very different from the way that I trained in Florida. Um, where I, I, I prepared to have a lot of autonomy and then I moved here and didn't really have, didn't really have much um, and wasn't able to give my clients what they need to have a good birth. Like I'm not willing to do birth without, without knowing that I have access to postpartum hemorrhage medications or to be able to put an ID in you if you need one. Um, so it meant transferring a lot of people who I otherwise wouldn't have had to transfer um, just because I wasn't able to access the care that they needed. So frustrating. You weren't so able to access all of the tools that you had already been trained how to use. Yeah. You have this training, you have this education and you can't even get the things that you've already been trained how to do. You can't even have access to them. Yeah. And I believe there are 16 or 17 states that remain in this weird limbo land. Yeah. yeah someone said such to me one time, I was like, yeah, I was uh, shadowing someone up in Virginia and uh, they were telling me about like this beautiful, amazing scope of practice that, that they have. Right. And then they said, but we don't have the ability to access prescribe or administer any medications. I mean, that includs like oxygen, IVs, erythromycin, you know what I mean? Pitocin. Like basics, Pitocin. Yeah. Um, and, and on, I, I, I said a comment like, oh, wow. So it's kind of like they've licensed traditional midwives. And she goes, yeah, but you make your bed and you have to sleep in it. And I was like, right. Cause you can take 35 weeks babies or 43 week post, you know, dates or twins or breach. But if they hemorrhage, you lose your license. So like here, let me like give you all of these things that you can serve people with, um, but definitely not protect you. And set you up for failure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that really surprised me. And so I'd be really interested. I know we don't have Jamara on yet, but um, as I'm learning and developing and, and hearing different perspectives, like what if we had multi, like a national level scope and licensure, what are some pros and cons in your minds with like a national scope and licensure for midwifery? The ability to move without <laughs> losing what you're able to do. Right. <laughs> for both CNMs and yeah. Right, the ability to, to, to move freely about the country without without losing um, your scope of practice. Yeah, and this has frustrated 
frustrated me. There's not anything like this for nurse midwives either. There's something like this, an interstate compact for nurses. And there's something like this for actually MDs as well that just came out in the past couple of years um, where it makes it easier to practice in different states, but not for nurse practitioners or nurse midwives. Every single state for themselves, make their own quirky little rules. Um, and you guys probably know I have a telehealth business that I would love to have going in every state to help midwives everywhere get the medications that they need. But in order to do that myself, I'd have to have 50 different licenses and some states. Well, I'm sending you people. Have you you are sending me. Months? Yes. I'm sending people. Every I'm state I teach it. I'm like, call Angela. Call Angela. <laughs> I'm working on it, but you know, all the telehealth software, they charge you per provider, you know? So I'm balancing. I would love to have everyone come on and I'm going to share the cost with you of this software. You may not be real profitable to start out with, but some people don't have that same vision that I do. And, you know, so. yeah. Mm. What would be some of the risks of like a national scope of practice licensure? And the loss of PEP is what I foresee happening a lot. Yeah. I think, yeah, probably the loss of lots of things, you know, whether those states now where you can do breaches and twins, you might lose that, you know, you could have strict, strict laws like the ones in Florida about you got to transfer this, this, and this reason. I think if, if we, I think we'd all be willing to give up more of the less common fringe or minimal uh, benefit clients in order to serve more and more of the folks who fall into that normal, natural and safe category. Right now, midwives across the United States serve about one to one and a half percent of the pregnant people. Um, and of course, the World Health Organization says upwards of 85 to 90 percent of people are normal and low risk. So we have a huge demographic we're not serving and that kind of that kind of reciprocal licensure would certainly help that yeah and when you say one to three you're talking really about community birth yeah because there are nurse midwives that in some states are serving 20 to 30 percent of birthing peoples but nationwide it's still only nine to ten percent yeah yeah in air in the the highest birth out of hospital birth rate is in um are is in anchorage outside anchorage in the valley above mm-hmm. anchorage alaska they're serving 25 percent of the pregnant people it's not amazing there's yes. like nine birth centers and like 20 midwives and they're in this small little valley they're doing tons of birth i love it well angela let's go to you my friend will you do a little intro for us? Sure. who are you where are you yeah so i'm angie love I am a community nurse midwife. I'm located in Vero Beach, Florida. I have been a midwife now for 17 years. I spent my first five years in a birth center where I met Del Mar and Tamara. And then for the past 12 years, I've been doing home birth and hotel birth and Airbnb birth. But <laughs> um, I also, yeah, I also have that tele health practice with Midwife RX um, that I am personally operating in Florida and Utah. And I have other uh, CNMs working with me in various other states. I am the mother of two daughters. I am a University of Miami alumni, white, non-Hispanic American. My pronouns are she and hers. 
middle class, omnisexual, 44 years old, able-bodied, and trying my best to work for liberation of all peoples, feminist, anti-racist, committed to maintaining birth choices, and educating a future generation of midwives so that we will not die out. Can we just start clapping now? Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) the podcast doesn't see us nodding our heads along, you know? I know, I want to clap so it's heard. Wow, Andy, thank you for adding your considerable expertise and advocacy to this cause. I, I, uh, we didn't kind of get this from Delmar either. So Delmar, maybe you can say like what your voice is aiming to, to speak about or to center in this podcast. My, my heart in midwifery is really about centering people who benefit the most from midwifery care, right? The people who are living at the fringes. Uh, so BIPOC folks, queer folks, transgender folks, disabled folks who benefit the most from, from our care. Mm. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Can I ask a question to Delmar? I know this, but I want you to explain if possible, why you think those people benefit the most from midwifery care. Because they get lost in the medical system. We get lost in the medical system. Um, Mm. We benefit most from midwifery care because it's individualized care. Um, it's care that really sees us with people who really see us in an ideal world. Yes. Mm, that, that deserves claps too. Yes, uh, thank you for that. And welcome to Jamara, I see who's just arrived. Jamara, hey. Greetings, hey. Do you wanna do a little intro, like who you are, where you are, what brought you to this place? pronouns and like why you wanted to be on this podcast what you want to share what your voice wants to center Mm, today is such an interesting day to ask that question um (laughs) so my name is Jamara Amani I am a licensed community midwife in South Florida and my pronouns are she her and hers I'm here as a black woman as a black mother as a black midwife Um, and my work has really been in defense of black mothers and in support of building a movement for birth justice. Um, Today, what's really heavy on my heart is the assault on black mothers that really centers around the right to parent, um, the right to give birth safely, the right to receive support and to live, honestly. Yeah. The videos that are appearing on social media and thank goodness there's videos, otherwise we wouldn't be able to have a public discourse um, are really, really devastating. I just received one from a family in Kentucky and it's so disturbing. Yes, I did hear about the Kentucky situation yesterday um and of course florida yeah saisha mercado in florida who had two of her babies stolen from her for just simply breastfeeding um and refusing a b12 shot which actually i listened to the recording and she didn't actually refuse it 
she just had questions, which is like a normal thing to have as a parent, you know? Um, and then there's also the story that um, we're organizing around in Gainesville, Florida, which is um, a mama named Heaven who gave birth alone in a jail cell because the prison guards didn't believe she was in labor and she gave birth alone and her baby died in her arms. Um, so, and that happened two years ago in Florida and again last year um, to different mamas. And so it seems like this is just continuing. Um, so yeah, that's where my heart is today. And I've been talking with lots of mamas and lots of birth workers and activists trying to figure out how we're gonna mobilize around these issues to interrupt this assault on black motherhood. Yeah, and the language being used to describe it is um, medical kidnapping. Yes, that is what it is. And I think it's important that we use that really descriptive language. Jamara, thank you for being here. I know that um, the content that you're going to share in the weeks and months to come is going to be so impactful. Um, do you have any teasers? Do you have any like insight? Like I know these issues are really front and up today, but in general, what, what are you sharing on this platform? I have so much to share. <laughs> I know you do. I'm so excited. Um, I really wanted to explore the history of Black birth workers, particularly in the South, um, and look at our medical system, not as something that occurred in a vacuum, but the way that obstetric violence developed, um, the way that medical apartheid developed, even the term we just spoke about medical kidnapping, all of that really grows out of a history of um, white supremacy and racism and the ways that the medical system has been weaponized against marginalized people. Um, so I'm really excited to dig into that by um, illuminating and amplifying voices of folks who have been working around these issues in their communities um, on the grassroots level, on the policy level, on the direct care level and access. Um, and um, I'm also really excited to um, explore like what some of the barriers are. Like, I think we have a sense of where we wanna go, what needs to change, what the issues are, what the problems are. Um, and I'm excited to talk to folks about solutions um, and solutions that are, that are happening in communities that really just need to be scaled up um, and to really, you know, kind of explore the, um, the spiritual aspects of this work and the cultural aspects that um, are sometimes appropriated and taken out of context, but that really belong to the people. Um, I'm also um, really interested in um, what different midwives are doing, particularly in the South. Um, as you know, I've been working on a documentary called Legacy Power Voice, and we've interviewed 22 Black midwives in five states across the South, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida. Um, so I'm interested in sharing some of those stories. Um, Black midwives are really on the front line as healthcare workers, as warriors, as social justice advocates, as change makers, as visionaries. Um, and that's, those are stories that need to be told for sure.
Mm. Yes, and yes, and like another clapping moment. Like yes. I'm so excited, I can't stand it. <laughs> I mean, yes. it's, not, it's not very um, user ear friendly, but I just want to clap all the time. Jamara, thank you so much for being here tonight and for, for joining this initiative to um, be a, a loud and um, diverse uh, group that hopefully will help to turn the tides of some of these really inappropriate and restrictive conversations and actions that have been happening in Legal Free. And you are such a leader in your state and in your community. I can't wait for the rest of the country to know you and hear more about you. It's so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to yeah. be with you all. Yeah. Well, let's jump over to Layla a quick, quick second. Layla, we've been hearing some of your stories, but I want to know more about who you are and where you are and what you're about, what you're, what voice you're bringing and what you're centering from being a co-host on this show. Yeah, it's uh, listening to all of you. It's so, it's so humbling just to hear um, the power in, in the words and in the energies that you each have. And so I'm just like really honored to be part of this circle. Um, I, my mother and um, partners were midwives in Louisiana when I was growing up. So I grew up around birth in the bayou and it was a normal Tuesday night and I went to every single one and um, kind of just really, really grew up knowing that birth was this normal event for every birthing body and for all families. And, uh, and you know, had both of my babies at, at birth centers. And I literally didn't know women gave birth or birthing people gave birth in hospitals. <laughs> I didn't even know like it happened until I was invited to a hospital birth and witnessed some obstetric rape and abuse. And um, it became really, really clear, like whatever I was doing in my life was over. And, uh, and my job going forward was to really open the, the doors and the pull back the curtains and have this super transparent, uh, space for children, birthing bodies, partners, and family to understand childbirth, like in its most innate natural form and the safeties of it. Um, I am, I use pronouns she, her, I am a wisest woman here in Florida, but I am a traveling student midwife. So I am jumping around different apprenticeships and preceptors throughout the United States while attending midwifery school over the next four years. My hope in that is that I receive like a lineage of training and education from midwives that have wide varieties of backgrounds, environments, cultures, um, trainings, upbringings, beliefs in themselves so that I can really understand and, um, and serve more people wherever I do end up. I don't know where I'll end up. I just know that it, it definitely has to be, um, really, truly understanding and respecting cultures and communities. Um, I hope in this podcast to rise up other student midwife voices. Um, I'm working on interviewing student midwives from all walks of life, from all communities, from all cultures, and from different arrivals to this space, right? Whether it's pep or meek or traditional or, um, or you know, essentially just in their bones and, and given to them through their birthright. I really want to rise their voices up 
Uh, and, and like I said, break down a little bit of that curtain that's hiding midwifery for everybody. And I'm just honored to be part of this circle. Mm. Mm, so exciting. And uh, I think Layla's gotten the most uh, pre-interviewing, pre-recording done. What do you have? Oh like yeah, students want to talk. <laughs> students are like, let me tell my story, right? Like all over the U.S., these students are super, super excited um, to, to, to say why and to say what they're passionate about, you know? And I think we have a lot to learn from this new generation of students. And these, these new students, you guys, like the midwifery, the, the little trailer of NARM in Tennessee has nothing on this new generation of midwives. Nothing. Oh, yes. I love it. I cannot wait to hear these interviews. Um, I have two more waiting in the wings for you. <laughs> um, I'm really excited, actually, Layla. Um, I connected with um, a uh, Black student midwife who's 16 years old in Ohio, who always wanted to be an OBGYN. But her father told her that before she chose that, she would need to follow a midwife. And so she is now um, interning and apprenticing with a home birth midwife in Ohio. And of course, her whole plan has changed now. She wants to be a midwife. So I'm so excited to share her with you. And then also um, more, more to Yay. send your way because they're so excited. Well, thank you for being here, Layla. And thank you. Um, you know, it was really important to me when we started imagining what this podcast would do and who it would serve and what we're here to share. Um, it was really important that we also centered the new generation and the, the future midwife. And so thank you for holding down that speed. So you are second generation midwife. Um, I'm not sure she would consider herself a midwife. She was a traditional midwife back when midwifery was illegal in Louisiana. So yeah, I, she would, she never called herself a midwife, but she attended birthing people during their childbirthing year. Okay. Interesting. And apparently fourth generation midwife, my great grandmother was a midwife in Tennessee. And then my grandmother on my mother's side was also a midwife. So wow. apparently it happens. It's in the <laughs> you blood. came by it honestly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But um, Jamara, I just wanted to also, you know, speak to midwifery in the South. It, you know, I have a lot to learn and a completely, um, you know, a humble arrival to that, but growing up in Florida and Louisiana and seeing midwifery change and adapt in a way that in some ways can be really healthy for birthing families. And in other ways is, um, just most abusive and racist factors that get put into play. You know, I have conversations with my white friends who talk about midwifery as an experience. And we all have to find the words to help all communities understand that birthing choices with, with midwives is not just to have the Inya playing during your water birth with twinkle lights on the walls but it's also to save lives and reduce obstetric rape and intervention, especially to our black indigenous uh, cultures and white women aren't listening very often. 
Um, and so that voice that is going to be echoed here is a place to really show what midwives are, what we do and the chances to make real change in, in midwifery, but in Southern States as well, for sure. So I'm just loving, I can't wait to hear what we don't do. Right. And yeah, totally. What we don't do. Like, that's what I feel like I repeat the most when I teach courses, like actually we don't do that. We don't take care of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see the intersectionality between these different perspectives and what ends up coming. Well, so, um, hi, I'm so glad I know each of you. Jamar, do you have anything to add? I was just going to thank, thank you, Leila, for that um, comment. And yeah, I think uh, one of the things I've been learning from interviewing Black midwives across the South is how much midwifery work um, in Black communities has really always been centered around um, being community-based and being a part of social movements and being kind of on the pulse of what's happening in the community. And I think the shift that happened, um, you know, when midwifery was really eradicated essentially and then brought back in a very white dominant way um, is that loss of that sense of community. And it became as you mentioned, just very much about like the actual birth experience and less about, you know, the total family, you know, kind of more of a global type of vibe that um, really honors what, what families and communities need. It became like really hyper-focused on like baby out of vagina in water, you know. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that what we have an opportunity to do in diversifying midwifery and reclaiming some of what was lost um, is to kind of build back, build back to a community-based model of midwifery, which really benefits everyone. Um, and, and, but I think that that's what Black and Indigenous midwives really teach us. Thank you for that. Mm. Yes. Hmm. Well, here we are. <laughs> I think it's your turn, Augustine. Yes. Kind of my turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't make bullet points. I wish I were that kind of person. I'm just not though. So <laughs> I'm just going to wing it. Um, my name is Augustine Colbrook. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I... Um, don't live anywhere currently. I've been mobile and um, houseless uh, for the last almost six years. And I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective and Midwifery Wisdom School. And we're a consulting and education firm helping midwives around the globe, but with a huge focus here in the US to be sustainable, to be successful, to be safe. And um, through those consulting calls and educational classes, I continue to hear some pain points, some consistent challenges, um, and some real inaccuracies and, and um, inappropriate um, kind of lack of boundaries. Um, and so uh, I thought there would be, there's lots of ways to address this. And I thought one way would be to bring some of the leaders in the profession together. Um, to 
um, show more ways how we walk our talk, um, show more ways how we're finding balance and sustainability and struggling too, struggling through it. Um, but just be more transparent in that work. Um, I have kind of lived out loud for the last lot of years on social media. Um, and one reason that I do that is because I want authentic connections. I don't want to hide um, bits and parts of me, but also because I feel like I want to be really approachable. Um, when I shifted away from direct patient care to supporting midwives, kind of midwifing the midwife, if you will, I realized how alone everyone felt because um, it was how I was feeling too when I was in direct patient care, direct client care. And so I just decided um, to be available, to make myself really available. And um, it's worked out really well for me. Um, just today, I got a message actually from someone who's been following me for 10 years since I spoke to her college class in Oregon about midwifery. And, and she's finally going to have a first baby. And she's like, I've been following you for 10 years. And it's your influence that's led me down this path, this path. Do you think it would be safe? <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's back up. <laughs> actually, this is a conversation for you and your midwife. But it was just so fascinating to imagine how um, being being open and transparent and um, vulnerable, how it, it helps other people feel like they can do the same. And so I had this idea to run um, my business that way. And now to invite all of you to join um, this podcast and do some of the same. Um, currently, I live in India, uh, kind of. I mean, I come and go from India, uh, but uh, I'm about to, to maybe have, have a real place there. So that's really exciting. Um, and I, I do practice some in India, but mostly I support midwives, um, education and development and businesses and practices and life, work-life balance and all those things. Um, and so I'm really excited to bring these voices together specifically. And we all have different guests that we want to bring on and, and center their voices. And we all have ideas about different facets of the profession and the work that we do. Um, and I'm just so excited to hold space and to continue to help envision and support this work and, and all, all of you and also the profession in general. Um, someone asked me the other day, like, what made you have the idea to start this? And I was just like, I just created what I couldn't find when I was struggling. And so this is another extension of that. Um, there weren't strong leader um, voices in midwifery when I was really struggling. And so that's what we're trying to create here. And each of these beautiful co-hosts um, is an absolute leader in their field and in their direction and in their focus and in their practice. And I'm so excited to share their voices with you.